isn't it? <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Our text this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, specifically verse 33. We'll read that and talk about that momentarily. You've already been singing that verse, if you know what you were singing earlier. From 1993 to 2003, Mike Levitt was the governor of Utah, and once on an overseas trip to Korea, Governor Levitt was relaxing in the VIP lounge of the airport in Seoul, waiting for his flight to Japan. At the same time, his press secretary and later deputy chief of staff, Vicki Varela, was being told at the ticket counter that she did not have a ticket for the flight. And she was insisting that she be allowed to board that flight because she was accompanying a United States governor. Well, uh, an American embassy aide intervened to help, and Ms. Varela was able to get a standby ticket, and she boarded the plane right at the last, just before takeoff. And as she composed herself and, and settled down, she went to find the governor to tell him about the adventure that she had had getting on the flight, except the governor wasn't there. Because unknown to her, because of her insistence that she be on the flight, the airline had bumped the governor off <laughs> to make room for her, his press secretary. Sometimes in life, the more important things get bumped aside for less important things. We have so many things vying for our attention. We become distracted by less important things, away from important matters, essential matters. We Americans are among some of the most distracted people on earth. But the problem isn't unique to us. Others are distracted just as we are. Our Lord Jesus recognized the dangers of being distracted away from the cares, uh, for, from truly important things by the cares of this life that we talked about last week to some degree. Jesus, in the most famous sermon ever preached that we've been studying for a number of weeks now through the springtime, after telling his disciples not to worry about such things as basic physical needs, he said, as you sang earlier, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The New International Version reads very similarly. In fact, let me back up a, a couple of verses to remind you of what we talked about last week and to give a little context. Beginning in verse 31, Jesus says, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What Jesus is saying here is the kingdom of God is of first priority. The first thing that we should give our attention to, the first thing that we should do as we live our lives. He says, seek first. Now, the word seek isn't one that we use in everyday language much these days. 
Um, yesterday, I went into a store looking for a garden hose, and I didn't know where they were. I talked to a, a store employee, but I didn't say, I'm seeking a garden hose. <laughs> Canst thou tell me where you keep them? No. I just said, hey, where are your garden hoses? Can you point me in the right direction? And I found them. We probably know the word seek best from uh, the children's game, hide and seek. We've all played that at one time or another. The word means to try to locate or discover something, to search for something, to endeavor to obtain or reach. I think the word seek can imply a quest, a focused pursuit of something for which we are looking and wish to find. Here it has that sense, desire to earnestly want something. But even more importantly, we're told to seek first. The Greek word there is protos. We use it as a prefix for a number of words in English. For example, the word prototype refers to something that is the first of its kind. We are to seek first. Here it means first in reference to time. That means before anything else. And first in reference to importance, above all else. So if we were to paraphrase what Jesus is saying, we might say, first and foremost, you should earnestly desire, what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. People misunderstand the kingdom of God. A great many people, most probably, think of it only as future, entirely future, like the heaven that waits for us after death. And they think of finding it as ensuring that they'll get there uh, by what they did X number of years ago when they professed faith and, and got saved, as it were. And so now Matthew 6.33 doesn't really apply to them anymore. They, they found the kingdom, so they don't have to seek it any longer. But they could not be more wrong. Jesus is speaking to His disciples here, and He tells them, Seek first the kingdom of God. It's something we pursue even now. It's something we can participate in even now. Though to a lesser extent than we shall one day, we're still called to to be a citizen. The, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is an invitation to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. We've mentioned that more than once as we've studied it in these weeks. An invitation to live as a kingdom citizen. This is how kingdom citizens live and conduct themselves. People who just want to be saved, as it were, buy the fire insurance, the way they used to say, but not live like a citizen of the kingdom of God, if they do actually end up in heaven, they're going to be in for quite a shock. They're going to be like foreigners in a strange land, not knowing the language or the customs or the practices of that experience. They're going to be uncomfortable. They're not going to know what to do. Jesus says, Seek the kingdom now. Learn to live as a citizen of the kingdom now. Prepare yourself for all of eternity. Seek the kingdom. But there is good news. The kingdom is available. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. It is near. It is accessible. We can find it and live as a citizen of it. But it has a corollary also, of course. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And His righteousness. Now that reflects the fact that the kingdom of God is a transforming reality. It transforms life. God did not send Jesus to affirm us in our sin. Jesus came to transform us into kingdom citizens who renounce our sins and pursue instead the righteousness of God. Jesus would say that the pagans seek affirmation. We seek transformation. We know we need to be different. We ask God to transform us by the power of His Holy Spirit into what He wants us to be rather than asking God to just affirm what we feel like we want to do. If you want to find the kingdom of God and His righteousness, you have to stop running towards sin and start running away from sin. There are people who think of themselves as Christians who have that exactly backwards. They seek to sin as much as they can get away with without winding up in hell. They want to avoid the consequences of sin. They want to avoid the shame of sin. They'll say to us, don't judge me. But their seekers are pointed towards sin. Jesus says we should seek as a first priority the righteousness of God. Now, maybe you feel like you're doing that. But I'll point out to you that there is a difference between wanting God's righteousness and seeking God's righteousness. All genuine believers, all genuine followers of Christ should want the righteousness of God. If we don't, we're probably not a genuine believer. But how many of us can say we're seeking the righteousness of God, pursuing it on the quest to obtain it, to realize it, fully and completely in our lives and in our experience. Jesus said earlier in the sermon, back in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's interesting language, because you know, Jesus has just been talking about that. He said, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink what you're going to wear. God knows you need that. Instead, hunger and thirst for righteousness with that kind of passion, that kind of desire, and you will find it. You will be filled, Jesus says. Jesus wouldn't tell us to seek something that can't be found. And yet there are people who read the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, and they will say, you know, no one can do that. That's, that's got to be some unreachable ideal that Jesus set before us. Something to shoot for, something to try for, but uh, we're never going to get there. Not in this life anyway. No, no. Jesus wouldn't ask us to seek something that we can't find, that we can't do. 
God and Jesus expect us to do these things we're called upon to do in this section of Scripture. And when we do it, when these priorities are properly ordered in our lives, then, then the other things fall into place as they should. They wind up ranked as they should be, as God intends. All these things will be given to you as well. That is, the, the less important, the less essential things of life, like food and drink. We think of those as pretty essential, don't, don't we? But Jesus is saying they're not as essential as the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Food and drink will sustain you for the brief blink that is a human life, but the righteousness of God, the kingdom of God, sustain us, nourish us for eternity, forever. That's how much more important it is that we seek the kingdom and pursue the kingdom. Because if you find the kingdom of God, you've found everything you need. If you miss the kingdom of God, even though you gain the world, you've lost it all. The problem is when we seek to, to get all these things first, instead of seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness first, all these things distract us from the main thing. And they seem to do it so easily, don't they? The least little things can distract us from seeking the kingdom of God. First thing we know, seeking the kingdom and the righteousness of God are displaced. They move from first place to second or third or fourth or maybe way down the list. And we are literally inundated with potential distractions. A couple of years ago, I found a statistic that said... 95% of Americans own a cell phone of some kind, and 77% own smartphones. And I would lay odds that it's higher than that now. What that means is that we have all of the distractions of the Internet right at our fingertips, don't we? To take our attention away from one thing or another. And it happens so easily. Confession time. How many of you, you know, we hear people sometimes talk about, I walked in a room and then I couldn't remember why I went in there. How many of you, like me, open up a browser on the computer because you want to track something down or check a statistic or verify something or another, and a headline pops up and you think, oh, that, what? You click on that. And you follow that a little ways and, and it leads to another story. And the first thing you know, you're wondering, what did I open this browser to do? <laughs> yeah, happens to, happens to me. It's so easy to get distracted. So just consider for a moment how different our world is today from the world in which Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. When they didn't have any such thing as the internet or cell phones, or, or barely books to read, things to read. How much more vigilant do you suppose we need to be to avoid being distracted from the pursuit of the kingdom of God? Because it is imperative we do it. If we get distracted, that distraction can be deadly. What has become a textbook example of that, at least in the aviation community, 
is the story of Eastern Airlines Flight 401, an L-1011 jumbo jet that crashed in the Florida Everglades on December 29, 1972, 50 years ago, long before cell phones and internet. The airplane was flying from New York to Miami with a heavy load of holiday passengers. And as the plane descended toward Miami to land, one of the lights that indicates the proper deployment of the landing gear did not illuminate. So the plane went out over the Florida Everglades into a holding pattern, big looping circles out there, while they tried to sort out whether the landing gear actually had not deployed or if it was just a problem with the indicator, the bulb. When a crew member tried to remove the light bulb, it wouldn't budge, so the other members of the crew tried to help him. As they struggled with this bulb, no one noticed that the autopilot had disengaged and the aircraft was slowly losing altitude. They didn't notice it until the last moment. I, I believe one of them said, that's not right, is it? When suddenly the plane crashed into the swamp killing 99 people, two others died later of their injuries. While an experienced crew of well-paid pilots fiddled with the light bulb, the plane and its passengers flew right into the ground. Distracted by a minor problem, the crew forgot to do the main thing, fly the airplane, and it cost them their lives. And we all know stories of the dangers of texting and driving, how many people die each year from distractions like that. If it's that important to avoid distractions in everyday life, how much more important is it that we avoid being distracted from the pursuit of the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God that are ultimately going to determine our eternal destiny? Is it any wonder that Jesus tells us to seek first and foremost the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Because if we miss out on those, what good is anything else? Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he loses his soul? Nothing, obviously. So how do we avoid distraction? You can avoid distraction if you can clear your eyes and your vision and, and see the true value of the kingdom of God. If you recognize what it's really worth, that is the rule of God and the reign of God in your life, because it's better than anything you've ever known. It surpasses anything else you could ever want. Its rewards are far greater than anything else you could pursue. It's better than anything, seriously. When you discover the value of the kingdom of God, you won't let anything distract you from pursuing it. Jesus illustrated that with a couple of stories later in Matthew chapter 13. He talked about a, 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 the kingdom of God being like a fellow finding a treasure in a field. He's plowing out there. He hears the, the plowshare hit something. He investigates. It's this fabulous treasure. And so he goes, he sells everything he has in order to buy that field and possess that treasure because it's worth more than anything else he's got or ever going to have. The pearl merchant, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like this pearl of great price. The pearl merchant finds it in the emporium and he recognizes it's what he's been looking for all of his life. 
Jesus, as he goes, he sells everything he has so that he can possess that one pearl. That's what the kingdom of God is like, Jesus says. The one who knows better than any of us what the kingdom of God genuinely and truly is. He says that's what it's like. So seek it first in your life. If you recognize what the kingdom of God is, you won't let yourself be distracted. That plowman, that pearl merchant, they didn't get distracted as they went to liquidate everything they had to obtain that treasure that represents the kingdom of God in Jesus' story. So have you ever really set out on the great quest that Jesus has called us to? The quest for the kingdom of God, the righteousness of God? If not, then I invite you on Jesus' behalf to join those of us who have embarked on the quest. I invite you to say, yes, I want to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want that in my life. It's a quest that will transform your life if you let it. Others of you here today may have already embarked on the quest, but you've allowed yourself to become distracted along the way by the cares of this life that Jesus tells us not to worry about. Would you set aside those distractions, make the kingdom of God the first priority in your life again? Put it back at the top of the list where it belongs? If you do, Jesus promises that all those other things will come your way as well. And if Jesus promises it, you can bank on it. Would you bow with me? Father God, we are grateful for the good things you place before us. Treasures beyond compare. A kingdom that will satisfy all of our needs, all of our desires, because it's your kingdom. It's your righteousness. It's what you've designed us to be. It's how you've instructed us to live. You've invited us to be a part of it. I pray, God, that you would take away the blinders that cover our eyes, the, the things of this life that distract us, that the evil one uses to turn our attention and our focus away from you. Help us to regain that vision, that focus again, so that we can obediently pursue the quest for your kingdom and your righteousness. And the full knowledge that as we do, you will give it to us because that's how good you are. Thank you, God. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray all this. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation and response, and if you need to embark on the quest, you've never, never done that, never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and say, I want to I stop running after these sins that have never been satisfying in the first place, and pursue something that will satisfy, something that is real and sustaining and nourishing in my life, then I invite you to come. We'll help you with that. That's our purpose here, by the way, as a church, to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God together.
We do a lot of things around here. We're, we're busy folks. We've got a lot of programs, a lot of stuff. But at the, at the core, at the bottom line, it's seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God in our lives, the character of Christ in our lives. If you've gotten distracted from that, you've, you've started on the journey, you've embarked on the quest, but other things have taken your attention away, then this will be a time for you to to get quiet before God and renew your focus and your objective in pursuing His kingdom, His righteousness, so that God can bless you with all that He has in store for you. That's the invitation today. Let's stand to our feet. Tony's going to lead us. We'll sing.